0: I I want to just start by um, highlighting some of our resources um, that we've got. Um, We do have a resource table at the back, which we're not selling, we're just highlighting at the moment so that you can look and decide if you want to buy something. We've got children's Bibles and youth Bibles and different Bibles there for you to look at, study Bibles. Um, We've also got this book, um, which feeds into what I'm talking about this morning, how to read the Bible for all it's worth. Uh, by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. It's a classic, and it talks about how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible, how to interpret the Bible, the different types of literature. It's a great book, and uh, I highly recommend it to you. Another book that I'm going to be referencing this morning, and I referenced last week, uh, on the back of your community group materials um, with Pete Gregg. I hope you've been enjoying the lecture course with him. Um, He's written this book called How to Hear God a simple guide for normal people, um, unless you followed John Ortberg's title, which is everybody's normal till you get to know them. Um, but that aside, this is how to hear God for normal people. Um, the best book I have ever read on the most important thing you will ever do, John Mark Comer. So uh, that is um, also on the resource table if you want to have a quick look at that. Eat This Book is a book about the art of spiritual reading, what we've been looking at in our small groups, Um, Lectio Divina, sacred reading, reading, meditating, praying over the scriptures. And this book by Eugene Peterson is a great kind of poetic look at that and uh, is a great read Um, and uh, if you're interested, there's a copy of that on the resource table if you want to have a leaf through it. A very readable book on the subject of interpreting the Bible, hermeneutics. That just means how, how, how do we interpret what the Bible says and understand it in our day, in our generation. There's a great book called The Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight, Rethinking How You Read the Bible. Uh, it's, I find this very readable and uh, he just takes us through kind of, you know, which bits of the Bible do we take liter- literally, which bits do we not take literally and why do we make the distinction and what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament and... And what about women in ministry? And what about uh, all some of these hot topics that have been challenged and talked about down the the line and down history and uh, talked about interpreting the Bible correctly and understanding different translations of the Bible? I recommend it to you. It's a good read. Uh, The Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight. Last week, I mentioned commentaries and the ability to get a little bit of help in understanding the Bible. And this series, the, the Bible for You, this one is Romans for You by Tim Keller, um, but is, is a very good devotional little commentary that helps us understand what we're reading in the Bible sometimes and is a good accompaniment. And finally, uh, what I'm going to be referencing this morning as we move on to the praying section of How to Read the Bible is a book by Tim Keller called Prayer Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. I read this a couple of years ago. He's died now, Tim Keller. Um, But I found it quite profound and insightful and there's things that just really struck me deeply that I'll mention this morning and I'll be quoting some Tim Keller from this book this morning. So there's just some book reviews there if that's your ilk. You can also listen to them on Audible um, and uh, have a look if if that's of interest to you. We've been thinking uh, last week and this week on how to read the Bible and we 've looked at the disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, luke chapter twenty four two disciples walking along the road to the village of Emmaus after Jesus has been crucified. they think it 's all over they 're confounded they 're dumbfounded they 're downhearted, and they don 't understand what 's gone on and Then the resurrected Jesus walks alongside them and starts to talk to them and he starts to explain the Bible to them, the Bible, the scriptures they had at that time. And starting with Genesis, starting with the law and the prophets, Jesus started to teach them everything concerning himself. And beginning, it says in chapter 24, verse 27 of Luke, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He said, it it is all about me, this book, this Bible, and it and in every page of it every book of it and uh, he started to explain and their hearts started to burn within them we asked last question last week we asked the question why is there such a gulf between what we say we believe about the bible that it is sharper than a two-edged sword and that it divides between marrow and bone and soul and spirit that it is the inspired word of god useful for teaching and rebuking and Correcting and training in righteousness. Why is there such a gulf between what we say we believe about the Bible and what we do in practice? One of the problems, says Pete Gregg, seems to be that no one ever teaches us how to read it with both our head and our hearts. We pretend that the Bible is easy, obvious and straightforward when much of it is not. So first, as we thought last week, we need to learn how to read the Bible with our heads in order to understand what it actually objectively says. And secondly, we must learn to read it with our hearts, which is what we've been looking at in Lectio Divina, in order to experience God's voice through its pages. We talked last week about exegesis, which is reading a passage of Scripture and understanding what it says and who it's written to and what type of literature it is what genre of literature it is and how we can get some help with that sometimes. But it asks questions. What does this mean? What is being said here? Who is being written to? What is, what, what is happening? And then we talked last week about a Christological hermeneutic, which is really understanding the Bible as being Christ-centered. From Genesis to Revelation, every book of the Bible points To Jesus, And as we've been talking on Sunday evenings and spent time looking at the whole storyline of the Bible, we find that it is ultimately about Christ, about God's solution to separation of man and God and his plan of salvation. And when we read the Bible in that way and realize that it is pointing us to Jesus, we will hopefully do what we said in week one of this series, we will encounter the risen Jesus ourselves in the pages of this book. So in John 5, 39 to 40, Jesus said to the students of his day, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So it is so important when we're reading that we read with our heads, that we understand the context of what we're reading that we understand the big story of the Bible and how it fits together, which is what we've been trying to look at this week, that we realise what type of book in the Bible we're reading, whether we're reading prophecy or whether we're reading narrative or we're reading poetry or wisdom literature or or, or, or whatever. It, it has. We read it with different glasses and listening to the Bible read. We talked last week about not only reading the Bible with your head and its important that we do that and that we understand what we're reading and that we acknowledge sometimes that it's difficult to understand past passages of Scripture and that sometimes we need help with that and that's absolutely fine. But also we need to be reading the Bible with our hearts. In Luke 24, 32, the disciples asked after Jesus at Explained the scriptures, done exegesis with them at the end of that time where they'd walked with Jesus, they said, Were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It was an encounter that they had with Jesus that changed their lives. How do we practically do this? Pete Gregg says, How do we move from studying scripture objectively with our head? And hearing its message generally to receiving God's words personally in our own lives, in our heart. And Pete Gregg says, the most powerful tool I have discovered, one that has revolutionised my own personal relationship with the Bible, is the ancient tradition of Lectio Divina, sacred reading, the slow prayerful reading of Scripture. So we've been looking in our small groups and we've been looking these two weeks at the cycle of sacred reading. Lectio, we read the Bible. We read a passage of scripture, a short passage. We read it through once slowly. We read it through again and we take our time over it. Then we looked last week also at meditatio. We meditate on what we're reading. We chew on it, we ponder on it, we think about it. We ask questions of it. What is this saying to me? What is God saying to me through this passage? And then we move on, and we're gonna look at these next two this morning, to the uh, next sections where we pray. We pray about what we've read, Horatio, uh, to pray, and then we contemplate. We contemplate about what we have uh, read, and we seek to live it out, live out the text. So we say, and we've been thinking about this, why not limit yourself when you're reading the Bible? Why not limit yourself to a shorter passage, maybe 20 verses or so? And when you read the passage that you're looking at for that day, when you've been following our devotionals through Inspired, read it slowly and read it repeatedly. And feel free to listen to the text read to you. If you go to the U version, you can, and the, the NIV in the U version on, on the app that you can download, you can have David Suchet himself read the Bible to you and listen to the Bible read. If you struggle to read, if you struggle to engage with the written word, you can download that app and you can sit and listen to the Bible being read or if you're driving in your car or if you're out running or you're out and about and you can listen or you're cooking at home and you can can listen to the dulcet tones of David Suchet reading the Bible for you. It's wonderful. And so we thought about reading slowly and reading carefully, not skimming over the text. And I quoted last week, Madame Guillaume, who said, if you read the Bible quickly, it will benefit you little. You will be like a bee that merely skims the surface of a flower, plunge deeply within to remove its deepest nectar. And the second reading, that meditation, Now, people get uneasy sometimes when we start talking about meditation in church, as if it equates somehow to transcendental meditation, which is basically involves emptying your mind, chanting, repeating things completely so that you empty yourself completely. That is not what biblical meditation is. Biblical meditation is filling your mind with God's word, focusing on it completely until your thoughts are intently focused on the truth. When we meditate on God's word, we fill our mind with it. When the first psalm, Psalm 1, calls us to meditate, it uses a word that literally means to mutter, to mutter God's word. There's no better way to meditate on a verse and draw out all the aspects and implications and richness of it than to memorize it. It's so good this morning to see, with the exception of myself, who had not memorized that last verse. To see people who've, who've memorized scripture. Do you ever, ever lie in bed in the middle of the night, can't sleep, worried thoughts going around in your head, obsessing about work, obsessing about something that's bothering you? Uh, Rick Warren used to say if you can worry, you can meditate. <laughs> and uh, it's such a great tool sometimes, particularly if you are anxious is to go over a verse in your head and to repeat it uh, and to go over it. This, this week's verse, keep, keep, uh, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night. And, and just to go over in, in our mind to mutter. We talked about like a dog chewing a bone or a lion growling over its prey, as Isaiah says. So our verse this week was Joshua 1 verse 8, wasn't it? Keep this book of the law, God's command to Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, then you will be prosperous and successful. It's the same promise as Psalm 1, Hebrew Hagar, to moan, to growl, to muse, to ponder, to utter. Meditation is like watching my dog with that bone, chewing over the scripture, pondering on it, eating it deeply, uh, and, and sometimes speaking it out. Martin Luther, the great reformer, recommended what he called recitation to yourself, reciting scripture to yourself of some part of scripture, a form of meditation, not merely Bible study. He said, I want your heart to be stirred, And guided rightly warmed and inclined towards prayer and so when we meditate on the bible we ask questions of it and some of the ways that you can meditate on a passage of scripture is you can repeat it let's take for example let's take psalm 23 very well known the lord is my shepherd So you repeat it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. Now, I may repeat a part of that. He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me beside quiet waters. I may repeat it. And by repeating it sometimes, I'm beginning to meditate on it. I'm chewing on it. I'm chewing on it. The Lord is my shepherd. What does that mean? The Lord is my shepherd. We can also, when we're meditating on Scripture, we can emphasize certain words. And so you emphasize different words of that passage. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, the God of all the creation, of all the world, is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is is my shepherd. He's not just everybody else's shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And if I'm wondering where to turn or how to live my life or what to do at work or what the next steps will be. The Lord is is my shepherd. And and the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord cares about me like a a shepherd with his sheep. The Lord is my my shepherd. And just by emphasizing different words in a verse, we begin to meditate on it. The the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is is my shepherd shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And so we can do that. We can also paraphrase the Bible when we're meditating on it, depending on which version we're reading. Sometimes it's nice to read different versions. You can read the NIV or you can read the message version, which is a, a paraphrased version of the Bible. But what's that mean? We're not living, most of us, in an agrarian society. Most of us don't have a lot to do. We do have a shepherdess in our church. But... Um, we're not necessarily fait with sheep. But if we paraphrase, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. How would that equate to you? How would you equate to God guiding you? Where have you felt guided the most? Maybe if you're into sailing, the Lord is my, I don't know, my pilot boat. <laughs> the Lord is my sat navigation system. The Lord... Is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. I, I'm not going to lack anything. I'm always going to have enough. God is my supplier. God is my provider. And I start to paraphrase what I'm reading and I'm, I'm meditating on the Bible. These are just some of the ways that we meditate. And if prayer is to be a true conversation with God, it must be regularly preceded by listening to God's voice through meditation on Scripture. One of the great takeaways that I got from Tim Keller's book on prayer was that he really did link. First of all, he said, I read the Bible. He said, then I meditate on the Bible and then I pray. I read, I meditate, I pray, I pray, I pray. If prayer is to be a true conversation with God, a two-way conversation with God, it must be preceded by listening to God. Through meditation and scripture, I've got to hear him first so that I can respond to him. Prayer is response to God. And this is an important discovery. Many of us have a devotional life where we perhaps jump from reading the Bible, we study the Bible, and then we jump to pray. And there's no middle ground between prayer and Bible study. A kind of bridge between the two. But deep experiences of the presence and the power of God can happen in innumerable, in innumerable ways. But the ordinary way for going deeper spiritually is through meditation on Scripture. And so we come to the aspect of prayer, of praying. We have read and we have meditate and then we pray. And Tim Keller says, I can think of nothing great that is, always, that is also easy. Prayer must be then... One of the hardest things in the world. To admit that prayer is very hard, however, can be encouraging. If you struggle greatly in this, you are not alone. If we think of the centrality of prayer in Jesus' life, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. He healed people by praying for them. He denounced the corruption of the temple worship, which he said should be a house of prayer. He insisted that some demons only come out of people by prayer. He prayed often and regularly with fervent cries and sometimes tears. And sometimes Jesus prayed all night. And the Holy Spirit came upon him and anointed him as he was praying. And he was transfigured with divine glory as he prayed. And when he faced his greatest crisis... He did so with prayer. We hear him praying for his disciples and the church on the night before he knew he was going to die. And then petitioning God in agony in the Garden of Gethsemane. And finally, Jesus died praying. Which reminds me of a story by the poet and priest Malcolm Gweet. He tells of visiting a very old lady on her deathbed. And she was suffering, this old lady, from dementia and neglect. And the nurse says, uh, this uh, Pastor Guit says, the nurse told me that she couldn't speak three words of sense together. At a loss as to how to pray, I began to recite the 23rd Psalm. And suddenly I became aware of a voice beside me, faint at first, but growing stronger. It was the old lady joining in through labored breath. I had a strong sense that the person speaking these words was not the wondered old lady, but the little girl who had learnt them all those years ago. We made it to the end of the psalm together, and she died peacefully as I was saying the Gloria. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever were the last words on her lips. The centrality of prayer. And prayer, if we understand it in, in what we're looking at here in our, in our schema of reading the Bible, follows on from reading and from meditating on Scripture, from the springboard of Scripture. Prayer is a response to the knowledge of God. Therefore, prayer is profoundly altered by the amount and the accuracy of that knowledge. If we do not know God, if we do not know what the scriptures say about God, then we cannot accurately pray to God whom we do not know. Prayer is a response to the knowledge of God. Therefore, prayer is profoundly altered by the amount and the accuracy of that knowledge. The clearer our understanding of who God is, the better our prayers and more purposeful will be. Tim Keller says, our prayers should arise out of immersion in the Scripture. We should plunge ourselves into the sea of God's language, the Bible. We should listen and study and think and reflect and ponder the Scriptures until there is an answering response in our hearts and minds. If the goal of prayer is a real personal connection with God, then it's only by immersion in the language of the Bible that we will learn to pray. Your prayer must be firmly connected to and grounded in your reading of the Word. The wedding of the Bible and prayer anchors your life in the real God, the starting point for our immersion in God's Word, avoiding untethered prayer. And so, Tim Keller writes in his book on prayer, we should do everything possible to behold God as he is and prayer will follow. Without immersion in God's word, without that first aspect of reading God's words, our prayers may not be merely limited and shallow, but they will also be untethered from reality, which is a really important point. that When we're praying, our prayers are response to what we've read and meditated on. We take what God is saying to us, we turn it around, and we form it into prayer. There's this great link between reading, meditating, and praying. And if we pray without knowledge of God's Word and Scripture and and lack of response, our prayers are untethered and and unknowledgeable. In The Circle Maker, the book by Mark Batterson, he says, prayer was never meant to be a monologue, like a one-way street. It was meant to be a dialogue. Think of Scripture as God's part of the dialogue. Prayer is our part. Scripture is God's way of initiating a conversation with us. Prayer is our response. The paradigm shift happens when you realize that the Bible was not meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And if you pray through it, you will never run out of things to talk about. And so there is this strong link between reading the Bible, meditating on the Bible, chewing on it, pondering on it, repeating it, paraphrasing it, personalising it. What is God saying to me? What is this text saying to me? What did it mean to its original readers? But what is God saying to me today? What promise is he making me? What command is he giving me? What challenge is he putting before me? What comfort is he uttering towards me? What is God saying to me? Because this is conversation. I'm reading the Bible with my heart as well as my head. I'm expecting in this sacred reading to be hearing from God. This is dialogue and prayer is response. Prayer is not untethered expression of my emotions, but it is a response also to the written word of God, to the revelation of who God is and what he promises me. And as I read it and digest it and chew on it, and it's on my lips, then I start to pray. I start to respond. Prayer is the responsive language. How do you eat your chocolate? Do you like to eat it? Do you, do you are you a Cadbury's person or a, galaxy person or what's your chocolate of choice and how do you eat it do you do you just wolf it down in one piece or do you do you like do you like to just rest it on your tongue and just let it melt slowly the taste of Cadbury's dairy milk just working its way around your mouth some of you are salivating now how do you eat your chocolate (laughs) And some of us we 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 wolf down the Bible and we tick it off and we've read it for today. But if we if we do what God says to Joshua, we will always keep this book of the law on our lips. We'll let the chocolate rest on our tongue. We'll 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 ponder it, we'll we'll muse over it, we'll meditate on it, and it begins to infuse our lives and and we find a prayerful response. God, you have said to me that you are my shepherd. You have said to me, God, that I will not be in want. And yet I feel that I am in want. I feel that I am in need. But your word, you said to me, God, in your word, I shall not be in want. You have said that you will guide me. You have said that you will make me lie down in green pastures. and You will give me rest for my soul. But my soul, God, does not feel at rest. And we begin to take what God is saying and we respond as we meditate on it. We respond in prayer. And we link those two together constantly, the ebb and the flow of conversation, of dialogue with God. So after a bout of thyroid cancer, Tim Keller meditated on the Bible and on prayer and he wrote his book on prayer. And he said, I began to make four changes on the back of this bout of cancer and the and, the tremend- and the, they went through 9-11, the bombing and the, the uh, destruction of the Twin Towers. He was a pastor in New York at that time and had to deal with the fallout of that in, in that city. And he said, I just needed to change things. And he said, I did four things. He said, first of all, I took several months just to read through the Psalms every day. There's 150 psalms and I read a psalm every day. I meditated on it. The psalms are the Hebrew prayer book. And so I read and I meditated on the psalms and I read through them regularly. But he said, what I did then as well, which I hadn't done before, is I always put in a time of meditation between reading the Bible and between praying. I I read the Bible, which I had always done, but then I started to meditate on it more and chew on it and digest it and eat it and let it rest on my tongue And so that it began to infuse who I was and what I was thinking about. And a great part of that is memorizing scripture, which is what we've been doing these weeks. And then he said, the other change, the third change I did, he said, I always used to pray in the morning, but I started to pray in the morning and I started to pray in the evening before I went to bed. Morning and evening. I followed the rhythm, morning and evening. And I I started to infuse my day more with prayer. And finally, he said, I started to pray with greater expectation. I started to pray in a way that I expected to meet with God and for God to hear my prayers. Four things that he started to do as he started to reflect on prayer and his recovery from cancer and his challenges as a spiritual leader in a city that was facing trauma. I took several months to read through the Psalms regularly. I put in a time of meditation between reading the Bible and praying, which is what we're doing through Lecture Divina. I prayed morning and evening and I prayed with greater expectation. So prayer as part of our sacred reading. We read the Bible. We read maybe 20 verses. We read it slowly. We repeat it. We allow God to interrupt us and to speak to us intuitively. We use our imagination to place ourselves in the text. We understand the Bible with our heads. We take help where we need it with a commentary. What is being said here? What is happening here? Is this a letter? What, what am I reading? I don't understand. I need some help. And we understand it with our head, but then as we read it, we begin to meditate on it and we expect our hearts to burn within us, to encounter the risen Christ, for him to speak to us through this Christological hermeneutic that every book of the Bible is about Jesus and will point me to him. And I start to read the Bible with my heart to encounter Jesus, to encounter the risen Lord, to expect him to speak to me for this to be a place of encounter. And as I chew over and memorize I haggar I I mutter I muse I worry the bone of scripture I growl over it like a lion over its prey I I meditate on it and then after I've read it and I've meditated on it I respond to what I've read I respond in prayer I respond in this dialogue with God I'm talking to him he's talking to me I've got things to pray because I've read them this morning. I've read them and I've got things to respond to, things to hang my prayers on so that I'm not going in a cycle of worry and anxiety, but I'm praying God's words back to himself. And there's something very powerful about praying scripture because it's God's words. God, you said. God, you said. This is your inspired word. You said and you will do it. You promised God. And finally, we come to the fourth aspect of our cycle of sacred reading, and we've been looking these two weeks over how to read the Bible, which is contemplatio, contemplation. Read, meditate, pray, contemplate. This is a beautiful depiction of contemplation, says Pete Gregg, an expression of prayer beyond words, fully yielded to the loving presence of God. It is, if you like, the intimacy of the elderly couple sitting together in contented silence or of a mother gazing down at her sleeping baby. It's that timeless moment at the end of an exceptional cinematic experience when no one moves, no one speaks. It's the hearts of the couple on the road to Emmaus, burning within, as they silently listened to Jesus. So having slowly, prayerfully read the scriptures, all you need to do is wait, don't rush off. Enjoy the moment. There's nothing to say or do. Simply sit quietly for a few minutes in the presence of God. Reflect on what you've just read and what God has said and what you've said to God, but just be in his presence. He is there with you. Contemplation, says Eugene Peterson, is the, in, the, in the schema of Lectio Divina, means living the read, meditated, prayed text in the everyday, ordinary world. It means getting the text into our muscles and bones in our oxygen-breathing lungs and our blood-pumping heart. We contemplate to live out what we have read. Contemplation is the link between the worship in the sanctuary and the work in the world. And it's at once secular and it's sacred. And sometimes we hear the word contemplation or contemplatives or spiritual contemplatives. We think of monks and nuns and people who set aside time to sit in the presence of God and contemplate the world. But contemplatives may be young parents juggling child-rearing and making a living If they are wise, they treasure the rare moment of solitude and silence that comes their way. And they use them not to escape, to distract themselves with television and the like. Instead, they listen for a sign of God's presence and they open their hearts towards prayer. Contemplation means submitting to biblical revelation, taking it within ourselves, and then living it out unpretentiously without fanfare. Eugene Peterson says contemplation means living what we have read, not wasting any of it or hoarding any of it, but using it up in living. There's, a, there's an application aspect to contemplation. It's, it's not just musing or thinking in the presence of God or just being in the presence of God, though it is that. It is, it is taking time. It's not rushing off. It's, it's waiting in God's presence But it is also then living out what I have read. If the Lord is my shepherd, if I shall not be in want, what does that mean for me today as I go to work? What does it mean as I seek to earn a living? What does it mean as I use my finances? What does it mean for God to be my shepherd? How do I live that out? How do I apply that? What is the link between my worship and the world that I live in with my young kids, or my single life, or my workplace, or my education, or my school, or how am I going to live this out? How am I going to flesh it out? How am I going to ground what I've read today in God's Word, what I feel God has said to me? It's an organic union between the word read and the word lived. That's contemplation. It's when we say, like Mary said, Lord, let it be according to thy word. Let it be to me according to thy word. That's contemplation. It's what Mary did. She pondered and mused on what the angel had said to her. She buried those things in our heart and she said, God, let it be to me according to thy word. Every word of God revealed and read in the Bible is there to be conceived and born in us. Christ, the Word, made flesh in our flesh, contemplation, waiting in the presence of God, living out what we have read. So what we've done these two weeks as we have just cycled through Lectio Divina, this just means sacred reading, it's an ancient form of reading the Bible, is we've thought about about how we read. We read with our heads we exegete the text. We understand what it means and what it says and where it fits in the biblical story. And the more we do that, the more we'll understand, the more we get context, the more that we have a, a, a wider view of God's Bible, God's word. And sometimes we need some help with that and we, we take these little commentaries and we say, oh, what does this text mean? I don't understand it. And, and we ask and we share and we talk and we, and we understand with our heads, we read. We read slowly, we read small amounts and we read repeatedly and then we meditate and we chew and we ponder and we personalize and we paraphrase and we, and we pronounce and we, we focus on different aspects of what we're reading but we get it into our bloodstream, we get it onto our tongue, we eat it, we eat the word of God and uh, we meditate on it. There's that link between reading and prayer which is meditation. We read, we meditate. We pray. We pray, which is response. It's not untethered. It's tethered to the Word of God. And then we contemplate. And as we do this, uh, what, what, um, what Tim Keller said as, as he made those changes on the back of his cancer diagnosis, was he said it took about two, two years for some of this stuff to really kick in with me. But he said, it began to change my life. And My prayer life, my expectations, my sense of God's presence. And what we said at the start of our series, Inspired, is a two-fold play on the Word. It's from 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is inspired by God, God God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training righteousness. But what we also said is what we want to be as a congregation is we want to be inspired by this Word of God to take it and read it and let it transform us and realize that in reading it, we're encountering the risen Christ. Our hearts will burn within us. Our prayer lives will be informed. Our, our thinking lives will be changed. And there's, and there's great joy to be had in that. And as we've read in Psalm 1 and as we've read in Joshua one the one that does this will be blessed. The one that does this will be prosperous. The one that does this will be successful. Um, we'll live life well and even in times of drought and struggle and difficulty, we will still produce fruit in season. So there's great joy and great challenge to be had in that. One of the scariest statistics about Bible reading amongst evangelical Christians is that about 75% of evangelical Christians do not read their Bible every day. It's, a, it's in the low 30% a percentile that, that read their Bible regularly. Some of us If we're honest, we really struggle to read the Bible. And what we've said is, yeah, it can be difficult. It can be troublesome. It can be challenging. But if we take these small chunks of Scripture and if we continually read them and meditate on them and and let them infuse our lives, our lives will be transformed. I'm going to pray for you now and the worship band are going to come back up and join me. And uh, I'm going to pray that you will take these words and... Live them out. Say, so let, let it be according to me, according to thy word. Let it be to me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your written word, for the living word of God. Father, I pray that as we um, have contemplated these last several weeks, we've memorized, we've, we've laughed, we've had some fun around it as well. We've, we've looked at how the Bible fits together. We've looked at the story of the Bible. We've looked at what the Bible is and we've looked at why to read it and what it does to us. We've looked these last couple of weeks at how to read the Bible. But I pray, Lord, that in all of this, we will read the Bible and it will change us. I pray, Lord, that as we read it and meditate on it and pray it and contemplate on it, that it will begin to infuse our thinking and our hearts and our lives. I pray, God, that we would be people not that are fed, but feed ourselves, that are not just preached to, but preach to ourselves every day through the open scriptures. I pray that as we go to our workplaces and as we live in our families and as we live on our own and as we face health challenges and whether we're young or old, that we live according to your word and the daily bread that you feed us. I pray, God, that we'll live it out in, in the worlds in which we inhabit, And God, I pray that we would be inspired by the inspired Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen.